Hello and welcome back to another edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, the Watford podcast which aims to interview former coaches, players and managers about their time with the Hornets. If you don't know me, I'm your host Bradley Hayden, a freelance sports journalist, but most importantly, a massive Watford fan for over the last 10 years. Thank you so much to those who tuned in to my last podcast with Marvin Sordell. I've been very pleased with the reaction that it's got so far in his discussion about mental health, which was brought into the limelight early this week even further when he did various interviews with people in the mainstream media of it being World Suicide Prevention Day and, and do get behind the campaign that he's doing at the moment where he's raffling off a load of football shirts that he's collected during his career which have been signed by the likes of Ryan Giggs, Rafael van der Vaart, Thiago Silva, all match-worn shirts there so please do get involved if you're if you're interested in that. This week I'm back with another podcast and this time I'm joined by former Watford captain and player of the season, Gavin Mann, who, who, who captained the club to promotion under A.D. Boothroyd uh, during the 2005-06 season. And he, he spent six seasons with Watford, uh, joined under Gianluca Fiali and, and spent six years with us from 2002 into 2008. On this week's podcast, we'll, we'll chat to him about uh, when he joined Watford and working under Viali, uh, touch on Ray Lewington, uh, where A.D. Boothroyd ranks in terms of managers that he he played with in his career uh, that promotion winning season and how good Ashley Young was uh, and as well as that we'll touch on that that, that memorable game at the Millennium Stadium where we beat Leeds uh, scoring that absolute superb goal against Portsmouth in the Premier League uh, and why he left Watford but to, to kick things off uh, some may or may not know that Gavin now works as a football agent he represents some of some of the country's top young players and uh, some, some Premier League players as well as that so to kick things off I asked Gavin how he got into uh, working as an agent in the first place I mean um, I've been doing it for about five years now Brad and, and the thing is I didn't I didn't think I was going to go down the route because I was in the process of doing my coaching badges just finished my B licence um, I actually did the whole pre-season at Barney and I was just about going to sign for them um, with Martin Allen and my gaffer who looked after me at the time as my agent, he pulled me and said, look, I know you've been off on a contract, you want to keep playing, but you've got to think about life after football. Um, I need someone to sort of come and help Sil Regis in the Midlands, cover that area, um, who's just come out of the game, sort of a mentor, and um, someone can relate to, especially young players. Um, and I, sort of, I, I had sort of 24 hours to make a decision. Um, then I went into to Barnet, to speak to Martin Allen on a Thursday. He was expecting me to sign. I just said, look, I can't. I'm not signing. For a lot of people, um, they'll they'll think just an agent is involved with getting transfer deals over the line, getting involved in the negotiations of contracts. But but what else does, does working as an, as an agent entail? I think for me personally, I, I look more to the, the playing side and the scouting of the player um, and trying to sort of mould that character and that footballer into into a, sort of a player that can go and have a career, whatever level. Um, negotiating and stuff like that, that doesn't really appeal to me. That's why we have, you know, people at the company who, who are, you know, that's their sort of speciality in negotiating. Um, yeah, I'll tell them how good the players are and if they're special, if they're top. Um, but it's mainly scouting them, signing them and sort of mentoring them early on in their careers. And, and, 
for those also who don't know, how how does sort of a, a deal or, or a, trans, a transfer come about? Because you get live on talks in foot regarding, you know, you always know someone who, if he's had recruitment or if he's on the scouts on the, on the circuit, um, you know, I attend a lot of games and you'll hear that certain scouts like certain players and, and then you sometimes bump into them and I'll say, look, what's his situation? Um, I know our gaffer likes him. I've been doing reports on him for four, five, six months. Um, and also you get a lot of scouts from abroad nowadays. You'd be surprised how many sort of Bayern Munich scouts and Richard Dortmund and, and Barcelona are at games over in this country um, trying to get the best young, you know, 15, 60-year-old kids. That's why you get the likes of, you know, Louis Barry going from West Brom to Barcelona mm. and, um, you know, the, so I think you'd be very, very surprised how many scouts are on the actual circuit. It's unbelievable. At a game, 23's game, you'll get 10, 15 scouts there. Mm. And obviously, I've got you on to, to speak about your time at Watford, and you spent six years there, making over two hundred appearances. We'll we'll touch on the winning promotion as as captain a bit later. But how how do you look back on your on your time at Vicarage Road? Um, I had some real good, real good memories, great memories. Um, met some real good people. I always love to go back there and, and still see some uh, some familiar faces at the ground and. Um, now they say in football, you know, when you come out of football, you don't have that many friends. That's what they say. But, you know, coming out of there, I've got two or three real good friends that, you know, I still keep interested in now. And um, on a Saturday, I'll always still look out for their results. And, um, yeah, and I played in some big games, real big games, important games. And, you know, I think my time there was sort of reasonably successful, which is, which is great because obviously I feel like I've contributed towards that. Mm. And you, you captained the club. You were, you were club captain, and you're remembered obviously for be, for being the person who, who captained Watford to promotion there in, in in that day at Millennium Stadium that season, which we'll remember for so long. So, how how much of an honour was it for you to, to captain the club during your, your last few years there? Yeah, I think that was um, the icing on the cake for me. I think it was you know the previous season we we struggled, and AD came in and sort of. Um, Turned it around, you know. He, he sort of, he was the first man drive that really got into the the mindset of if you really believe in something, you can achieve it. Mm. Yeah, I've had other real good coaches and managers, but he was massive on the actual person and how you thought about football or thought about results. And he knew I was quite um, sort of knowledgeable when it comes to football, and I was, you know, I was quite a good pro in a sense where I'd always try and help younger players. Or I was always trying to give advice and sort of speak to players on the pitch, you know, try and help them through games. And um, so, yeah, so when he gave me the arm, and it was, it was an honour. And also it was, it was something that, you know, it's added pressure, but I like that pressure. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to sort of be a leader and try and set an example. And um, yeah, I think I did that. I just firstly want to take you back to the very start at Watford. Obviously, you joined from Brentford in, in 2002. How, how did that move come about and what did you know about Watford at the time? Um, it was because of Ray Lewington. I'd, I'd been at Brentford with Ray Lewington um, and Ray had known me because we'd, we'd actually got promoted in my first season there with Ron Mose, the chairman. Um, and Ray sort of always kept in touch and... Um, I remember it might have been it might have been over the, one of the scouts, John Griffin. It might, it might have been Ray. Someone, someone actually tipped me off. Said, "Look, I know Watford are watching you. 
Um, so just be wary of that. And then I got a phone call to ask if I'd go and speak to Gianluca at his uh, house with Ray Wilkins. So I went over there and met him and I spoke about the club and how I played. And um, and that's what I thought it's, it's got a great chance of happening. Because I actually had a chance of joining Watford when I was uh, 19 when I left Wolves. Graham Taylor tried to sign me. I went down there and met Graham. And, um, but he wasn't the manager at the time. He was sort of upstairs. It was Kenny Jack. He was the manager at the time. And I was you know, 19 coming out of Wolves thinking, do I stay local and play for a local team? Um, and I did that and ended up getting relegated to the conference and Watford got promoted. But thankfully, I had a, a, sort of another chance of joining them, which was, uh, which was great in the end. You mentioned Graham Taylor there, who you met once. Uh, a lot of Watford fans, obviously, have him so much indulged in their, in their hearts. He's, he'll always be remembered for that club uh, and with that club. And, and Watford fans will, will so remember him so dearly. Uh, what was he like when you met him? Um, he, was, he was the first manager who gave my first pro contract at, uh, at Wolves. He was, so he was quite... He had this aura about him where... You know, he was, he was in the presence of someone who's really knowledgeable. Um, yeah, he was sort of old school in his, his ways of thinking of, you know, you have to be really, really, really fit to play under him. Um, you know, when I was a young 16-year-old lad, just come out of school, um, you know, I've done sort of apprenticeship at Wolves and I'm training with the first team and I'm doing like running that I've never experienced before. And that sort of, it was great for me. He showed me what I had to be like and what I had to, you know, how fit I had to get as a young footballer, to be a footballer. Mm. Um, and he'd it, it always, it always try and pass on his knowledge to you as a young player and he'd always have meetings and get everyone involved in it. Um, you know, standing around with players who'd been playing 15, 20 years and I was, I was like a sponge as a young lad, just, just taking it all in. And, um, you know, and he knew I was a good pro as well, a good young player. That's why I think once he realised I was leaving Wolves, he tried to bring me into Watford. And you mentioned, obviously, when when you signed for Watford, that uh, you, firstly you worked under Gianluca Vialli, and I, I know a lot of Watford fans don't particularly like to talk about the Vialli era too much. But what was he like as a coach? I, I spoke to Lloyd Doyley a while ago for for a different for a, an earlier podcast, and he said he was he was good for him, but in, in terms of man management, he, he, he needed a little bit of work in that sense. Yeah, I think because he, he'd been a top player and he's probably played with a lot of top top players. Um, and this is the thing where I think managers that they, they struggle. You know, it doesn't mean if you're a top player, you're going to be a top manager. You've got to, you've got to change your mindset. And you've got to change how you, you treat people and speak to people. Um, you know, one thing that did stand out with him was um, he wanted to join in in training, which was great because he was unbelievable at his technique. And but he hated losing. He could see why he was a top player because he hated losing a five-a-side in training. If he did on a Monday. He wouldn't speak to you till the Wednesday or Thursday because he was still at the ump. And that's what he was like as a as a manager. I could understand as a player, but you've got to you know, you've got to try and bring bring everyone together and, and make it feel like you know it's a family. Um, and when you've got top players, they do that naturally. But when you've got players who don't want to be there, like he had, um, you, know, you had the likes of people like Ramon Vega would walk in with a fifty pound note stuck to his forehead because he'd been fine, but he didn't care. You know, he had coaches like this, and I've never experienced anything like it. As a young player who, who sort of was battling the lower leagues of, of you know, League One, League Two, but I was thinking, I mean, it was well, where's the respect here? Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, I think he had too many players that 
Ron good money that didn't want to play for him in the shirt, and that's when you've got a problem in football. Would you say that led to uh, like a, a, a divide in the dressing room there? Um, no, I think because because Ramon was still a good lad, he wasn't he wasn't a bad egg. It was just because he knew his winding Ray up and, and and Gianluca up. It was you know yeah you've got to you've got to respect him because he come from Celtic winning the treble, so you've got to respect who he is. But it's like I just don't think they managed him in the right way. See, players like that, you have to you either discipline them and not let them train with you or, or you have to find a resolution, I don't know. But it was like they were they were asking him to train better and he, he just wasn't. So once you've got that, I think you had a problem. You mentioned mentioned Ray Lewington, hey, would take over after Gianluca Viali left the club and obviously Ray's such a well respected coach in the game and worked so much with Roy Hodgson since leaving Watford. He was his assistant in England and, and now at Crystal Palace. Uh, and during his time at Watford he, he led the club so well in, in difficult circumstances. So he, he must have had a, a great impact on your career and you mentioned there how he, he he helped you to sign for Watford. So you must be thankful for him to what he's done for you. And in, 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 in your career, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I've known Ray for since I was sort of twenty. I think it was twenty-one when I joined Brentford. So we go back a long way. And when I spoke earlier about man management, he was brilliant. At he is a brilliant coach, top top coach. Always wants to um, give you good advice and always there to, to um, you know. Even now, I want to ring him now and have a chat with him. He, he, he chat about football and our times and. One thing he did do, though, is he knew when to when to lose it with you and when to show that he was angry in a way where, which I think in nowadays as well in football, I don't think you see anymore people losing in the dressing room because people nowadays, football's, it's changed, the mindset now has changed, the, the mentality's changed. You know, you probably classify as bullying nowadays, but back then it was it was normal, mm. and it made you it made you stronger as a man. You had to be you had to be a man at nineteen, twenty back then. Now, I mean, I see a lot of it now. Some players get it, and some and some don't. Um, but Ray had that balance well of of knowing when to lose it with you, but also because you know when he's losing it, he's doing it for the sake of the team, knowing that you know we can be better as an individual. Uh, he wasn't doing it to to bully or to to put you down in front of all the players. You're doing it to get a reaction out here because he knows how good you could be, and that's why I think he's well respected. And also, his coaching, he puts on enjoyable coaching sessions. That's the thing with football. Nothing about being a footballer, driving into work, knowing you're going to do the same training day in, day out, which I've had. I've had that with foreign coaches. I've had it in my career where Ray it was always, always mixed up, always enjoyable. And we, I mentioned there in my, in my earlier question that it was obviously a difficult time with, with Ray at Watford due to the, the collapse of I, ITV Digital and we obviously all know about what happened behind the scenes with players having to take pay cuts. So how, how difficult was it to stay focused during that, that period with all the off-the-field issues? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't sort of apparent um, when I first joined the club, but then it was like literally two or three months in remember the chairman coming at the time and said to us, look, you know, we need to take a pay cut or we're going to really struggle. We'll probably go under. And I thought, hang on a minute, what's, what's going on here? Um, but it's something as a football club. Um, and, and, you know, when you've got a group of players, that, that you always come together in situations like that because, you know, yeah, your players are on good contracts and you're getting good money, but there's more people at the club that you have to worry about, the staff. Um, you know, there's some real good people at Watford who've worked there for years and years. So it's not just 
the playing side, you, you think about the whole, the bigger picture, and that's why straight away a lot of the players said, "Yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll do that. It's not a problem." Um, but it was, it was a tough time. Um, but in a sense, it probably brought us together. Mm. You, you mentioned that there, and that, that brings me on quite nicely because while it was a tough time off the pitch of Watford, it, it seemed like on the pitch, while while we, we sort of got into mid-table, it seemed like that team had a fantastic team spirit and it led to some really memorable moments, most notably the FA Cup runs under Ray Lewington and one of those games where we beat Burnley 2-0 on the FA Cup, which is remembered for Stephen Glass's free kick and, and Tommy Smith's scrappy scrappy winner as well, which is, a, which is a great game to remember. Yeah, I think it's... I think you've got a mixture. I mean, we, we actually had some real, real good players in that dressing room, so it's just a matter of getting the balance right of, one, how we were playing to get the best out of these players. And because we know that once we, once we did get to play a certain way that Ray wanted us to play um, that was suited the players we had because we had, we had match winners in the team mm. you, know, you just mentioned two lads there Tommy and Glassy they were both real good technical players um, so we had good characters as well you know lads who were you know sort of leaders in their own right so when you've got two or three leaders on the pitch you've got half a chance you mentioned Tommy Smith there. He's someone I, I, I also spoke to for the podcast. And he's, uh, he's obviously someone that will be well remembered by Watford fans for his impact that he had coming through the academy. And uh, I spoke to Tommy in the build-up to this interview and he wanted to say hello. And uh, he also said to me that uh, you, were, you were so handy for him during Christmas because he said if, if any of the players needed something to, for any of their girlfriends, any presents, he said you were the go-to man because you always had a load of stuff in the back of your, back of your car. So... <laughs> Tell me a bit about that. That's, yeah, that's. Um, I think that's been a problem without me. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I just knew a couple of people that could get hold of things that you know at a good prices, and the lads used to love it. So um, yeah, I'd always look after the boys. But Tommy, great, great lad, real good lad. Um, technically very good. I mean, you know, I was, I was also at QPR and Tommy joined there, and um, he's one of these players that you didn't realise how quick and sharp he was until you played up against him. That's why he got so many goals from dropping the shoulder, kicking it five yards, and he didn't realise. But he was mm. so technically that good, he could get past you and you know, and also keep on the safe side. And he always he always had that shot back across the goal into the far corner. So real good. I actually saw him about four or five months ago at like a QPR golf day. So it was good to see him. Real good. And in one of Ray's last full seasons as Watford, you you were uh, named Player of the Seasons. That must be something that you look back on with, with great memories as being part of a, a small group of players who have won that accolade during their time at Watford. Yeah, yeah, I um, you know, I think it, there was a sort of start stage before that, the season before that. I was going through a tough time because the team weren't doing great. I was the captain, and um, but performances weren't weren't up to the level I know they could be. Um, and a couple of people I think questioned me. Um, some of the Watford supporters, which is understandable because, you know, you're there to be shot at, you're wearing the armband and you're meant to be leading the team. But, um, you know, as as you get older, the more experience you get, you sort of, I think there's someone in football that it makes you dig deep because you have to have this sort of inner core of um, that mentality of I'll show you or, you know, I'll prove people wrong. And, um, you know, I got my head down and I was consistent throughout the season. And I think the supporters appreciated that in the end. And, uh it was good to receive that award. And A.D. Boothwood came in after after Ray in March 2005. And uh, obviously we all know what he achieved with Watford. But what was he like as, as a coach? And, and when did you when did you first realise that he, he was trying to put together something special at Watford? 
I think it was the, the sort of pre-season, the season we actually got promoted when he, you know, I've said the story before with the old uh, the old seats at the training ground like a bus. Um, when he sat at the front of the bus, he said, look, lads, this bus is going to the Premier League and everyone thought, huh? But I think what, what AD, one of his um, sort of the, the best things I can say about AD was he had, he had this knack of getting a group of players together and... And speaking openly, you know, you think you've got to have a, the right set of players to do this. Like in the room, we'd have like the chairs in a circle. They weren't like desks at school, they were in a circle. So whatever you said in the circle, it wasn't taken to heart. So you could criticise other players in the circle. You could, um, you'd have to speak about how other players could have helped you in the games better. And no one, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be careful because it's like you're criticising your teammates. But he knew he had a group of players that, wouldn't take it to heart and we'd go out and work on it so we'd help each other improve and as you got that and you had you know people like Darius Henderson who you know Darius would run for a brick wall for you Marlon King would run people into the ground and these people were hungry um, and when you've got the likes of people like Ashley Young and bits of quality in there as well as Matt Spring who would get goals to midfield uh, Malcolm McCoy was a you know someone who was experienced had been there done it had promotions I think the spine of the team, you had Jade Merritt who'd come from, you know, coming over from America to playing against us in pre-season, doing well. And, you know, he was on that wave of, and he was another player. That's why he went on to captain the club. So you had a group, group of men that were leaders in that group, also a bit of quality. And you had the manager at the front who was driving it. Um, and that's why it took us all the way. Where, where, would you, where would you rank AD in terms of managers that you've played under during your career? I'd say he's up there with them 100% because of, I think AD's philosophy uh, was to play like Arsenal, but he didn't think he had the best players to play like Arsenal. So he'd play a certain way that suited how we played. And that's why we were successful. But then when you get to, I think this is where me and AD had a, not a fallout right? because it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, it was me being his, his captain as his sort of link between the dressing room. Um, you know, I, I said a couple of things to him that I don't think he agreed with, and that's when I ended up leaving the club. But you know, that's that's history. He's like, he was good at getting, like I said, the group of players to, to bide in how he wanted to play, um, and he's also his training. His training was real good, real, real high intensity, really enjoyable sessions. Um, but I think you know, when you get to the Premier League, it's a completely different story. You have to you have to have a little bit more string to your bow in a, in a sense. And during that promotion-winning season, there were so many games that you look back on with great memories. But I want to take us to, to the playoffs and that first semi-final, uh, first leg against Crystal Palace, where we completely blew them away at, at Selhurst Park. Obviously, Ashley Young scoring two fantastic goals and Matthew Spring popping up with one as well. Just how good were they on that day? Yeah, well, that's another thing as well. We, we'd... We'd work on things in training where, you know, that's why AD was probably ahead of his time because he was, he'd, he'd get us to do like certain training sessions of, you know, he'd, he'd play 11 v 11, but he'd take one of the players off and say, you won the look, defend the last 20 minutes. And we'd literally see out the game and we'd do it like we'd be 2 nil up, see out the game and we could do it in training. So when it happened in the game at Palace, 3 nil up and we, you know, we were absolutely cruising. And then the home leg, I was never, ever, ever in doubt we'd go and see, see it through because we trained throughout the season in game situations like that. Um, so, yeah, so it's like you don't want to get complacent. You don't want to think, oh, we're there. But, 
you have to be professional. Um, and they just couldn't live with us at the day at Selhurst. And just just how good was Ashley Young on that day and during that season? And when did you realise? When did you first realise that Watford had a special talent on their hands? I mean, one thing I did see with Ashley, he always wanted to learn and improve and um, get better in training. He'd always do extras, and uh, seeing a young player have that, it, it shows. You know. Probably I could have done that more when I was a young lad. So he's like, he's brilliant to see, absolutely brilliant. And I remember Aidy did a thing where uh, he got us to put the names in a hat of every player. So he got to all the names of the players in the hat. And he, had to, he had to pull a name out, and then he had to speak about that player for two or three minutes in front of everyone. Now, look at that from a psychological point of view. How how good is that player going to feel when he walks out that that meeting room? He's going to feel you know ten foot tall because one of his teammates. Has, has said some great things about him. I actually pulled Ashley's um, name out and I said, I'm just trying to think, vaguely I said something like, real good kid, real wants to learn. Um, in my opinion, he'll go right to the top and he'll represent his country. And everyone was like surprised I was, you know, the club captain was saying something like this about a young player, but you could see, you could see, it. you could see it in him, you could see it in his, in his desire and his work rate. And it just shows, if you bear in mind, I think the club released him. Mm. Yes, it did, yeah. 14 or 13, 14, whatever it was, and he ended up coming back and playing. So that just shows what type of character he was. And it's great to see he's still playing at the top, top level at his age. And someone who perhaps goes a little bit under the radar during that promotion winning season is, is Ben Foster in goal, who's now back at, at Watford for a, a second spell, this time permanently. He was obviously on loan for, for Manchester United that, that season and the season after. But. Uh, how how good's Ben Foster gone on to be? And did you realise at the time what a good goalkeeper he could become? Uh, yes, I did. Because when you see Ben in training, one thing with his he was a presence and he was a big he was a big guy, but he hated losing. He hated conceding goals if it's like a shooting practice, and he hated like being on the losing team on a seven aside. And when you've got that, you could see he was going to get to the top. Really good, um, and he's a great kid as well, Ben. Um, I actually bumped into him probably three or four months ago again in uh, in Birmingham, and um, you know it was great to see him back at the club. And, and still, that's why wherever he's gone, he's got Player of the Year. Mm. You know, he's got West Brom he's two or three years on the bounce. Watford is Player of the Year, and I was there, and no doubt I think he's got it since he's been back. So yeah, probably unfortunate not to win it last season as well. But obviously with Etienne Capoue's form, and uh, I, I'm sure you've seen Troy Deeney's quotes about Benny. Uh, he, he sort of he said uh, he turns up turns up every day eats rubbish in a sense and goes out on a weekend and uh, he's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. The thing is with Ben is you put him anywhere on the pitch, even left wing or sometimes he'd play out and he'd still look like one of the better players. Um, and he absolutely had a, had a you know he's got the hammer of a left foot of his. That's um, you know that was that was probably like one of our main weapons when we played in the championship and got promoted because you know. He could hit a ball from one edge of the 18-yard box to the other 18-yard box. And now we were playing with Darius up front and, you know, it's high intensity winning second walls. That's why whenever we take kick-off, we kick it straight back to Ben. We'd all squeeze up. Before you know it, we're in our 18-yard box. And it mm. was, it was yeah, it wasn't nice at times to play in, uh, but it was effective. Um, and that's why we were effective all season. And teams couldn't live with us because of that. 
and I, and I want to take us on to obviously that 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 playoff final day. Um, I spoke to Lloyd Doyley as I mentioned before, and he he was saying that in the in the tunnel before that game, he he just knew Watford were going to win because of a, how intimidating that they made that that atmosphere. Is is that something that you agree with, and is that something that you did quite a lot during that season? Uh, yes, it was. It was. It was I know Ad uh, mentioned that Jose Mourinho at Chelsea. He was. He sort of trained his his bench to um, because Jose um, Buffon was a massive fan of, of Jose, and he trained his bench. If he jumped up, Jose, you know, all his staff would have to jump up, and and Ad got the Watford staff doing the same. So. Whenever we played a away game, we'd want a lot of staff in the in the tunnel, a lot of Watford coats around, and um, so he was massive on that side of it. So, and also I think that the night before the Leeds player in the in the hotel where the wives were, the Watford wives, so a lot of them were saying certain things, you know, just probably joking about in the lifts and stuff like that. Um, and also you had, I think one of the biggest things as well that day was. Um, Butler, the centre-half, had been out with a calf problem for about five or six weeks, Leeds' centre-half. And Marlon King said to me, before I went in to see the referee, before the game, um, he was waiting by the door, he said to me, Butler's playing, Gav. I'll run him into the ground, mate. We'll beat these. So as I come out of the dressing room, um, the referee stood there, and then Butler was stood there. And that's when I knew. And Butler was a big guy. You know, He was carrying a bit of weight anyway. So for him to be out for five or six weeks, playing a big game like that, Get someone who loved running channels, catching pigeons. Then I knew that we'd, uh, we'd cause them problems, and well, and we did. And walking out at the Millennium Stadium and, and seeing a sea of, of yellow to your left or to your right, that must have been uh, sort of a spine tingling moment for you. Yeah, I think when we're driving to the, the ground on the, on the coach, it's like. Yeah, you see sort of little crowds here and there, and then you've got one stage where you turn the one corner just before we actually put into the ground, and it was full of gold, and you thought, wow. And then, I mean, I try not to think about it too much in a sense where I don't, don't think about the occasion too much because, you know, you've got, you got a job to do, but it was, it was actually, even the warm-up, I didn't really look up into the Watford, into the sky to see the fans. It was like, yeah, you knew they were there, and you, you're doing your routine, and but then when we're in the actual tunnel, and you hear the noise outside, and I think the roof was closed as well, which made it more more vocal and more sort of echoey. Um, as we come out, that's when I looked up to the right and thought, wow, this is unbelievable. Um, and that's when I thought, look, we need to do this, boys. We need to do this. And that's what, exactly what I said when we did the, uh, did the huddle thing. And, and where, where does that game and, and where does that achievement of winning the playoff final and winning promotions to the Premier League ultimately, wh- where does that rank in your career? Uh, it's at the very top. Yeah. Very, very top. Especially especially how we did it from you know, being one of the favourites to get relegated that season. Um no one really spoke about us. Uh, yeah, they'd say we you know, we were hard to play against and high intensity and um but you know, we we also had some real good players in that team. Um and, and once we got the ball in certain areas and, and the manager let us play our, our football in a sense where, you know, don't don't be afraid to express yourself in the final third. Yeah, don't take risks at the back. Um, but get it forward and, and play on the second ball. And, um, you know, teams couldn't live... With, uh, the biggest thing for me as well is they couldn't live with our fitness levels and our, our intensity of how we were playing. We're growing teams down. And you can see it mentally, mentally go. And whenever you see in football, whenever you see a, a mental weakness, you've got to literally 
go for it, and that's what we did as a team. And I, I bet the uh, I bet that the party after the game and after that victory was uh, was good fun as well. Yeah, we ended up. Um, I just remember being on the coach, um, and there's beers on the coach. And we ended up getting back to the hotel. I think I did a, an interview for Sky, and I could see all the uh, the players sort of calling me over because they did arrange the party downstairs. And um, I think some lads went out into to Cardiff that evening and come back worse or where, but. Uh, <laughs> But I actually went to I went to uh, Marbella that year with a few friends, and I ended up bumping to what called Watford fans straight away. Then I also went to Elton John concert because Elton used to, to to speak to Adi on the coach and sometimes say you know put Gavin on, and he said Gavin I'm in LA and you know keep the lads going and it was brilliant so far. And I'd be what I was watching the final and um, and I ended up going to see him in concert in Worcester. Um, and he, he wanted to try to get me on stage. I said, no, 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 out. And so I ended up going backstage, having some pictures. And it was just a great, great sort of party. The whole of the summer that was. And uh, after that, we obviously in the Premier League, a bit of a difficult season for us, but with us being relegated. But uh, one one thing that Watford fans always look back on, and uh, the Premier League play it quite a lot on their, their social media pages, is uh, your goal against Pompey at the Vic in uh, April 2007. I'm sure you... Sure, that's one you take great pride in. So, what do you, you remember about that one? Yeah, I remember we would, um, I'm sure we had the, the FA Cup semi final the following week. Um, and I was just a little bit disappointed. Uh, in the game, I was disappointed beforehand because it was like, you know, you always think, you know, if it, if it had done certain things or if it had changed, we, we may have had a chance to start. I think Marlon King getting injured really, really mm. affected us. You know, Marlon, in my, in my opinion, would have gone on to get. You know, 12, 15, maybe 20 goals, and that would have been the difference between us staying up or not. So maybe in that, that, that when the ball came out to me, just a little bit of, little bit of anger behind it, and a little bit of frustration, and that's probably why, you know, I, I caught it so well. Um, but just to show I didn't get many more goals, but you know, when I did score goals, um, you know, they were sort of special in, in a way. Would you say that's the best you scored in your career? Um, I'll say it's one of them, yeah. I remember I seen a thing on Twitter not too long ago about a goal I scored at Brentford when I was at Bristol City, I think it was. I was about, I'm probably exaggerating this, but I was about 40 yards out and I ended up just <laughs> catching it well and it's through in the top corner. So, um, you know, like I said, I didn't score many, but uh, but that was a nice nice moment, especially a week before the, uh, the semi-final. Yeah, and uh, obviously we mentioned there about Marlon King's got uh, without Marlon King we we struggled. But if you look back at that season as well, there, there were a few times where we were just we were just in front or we were on we were on level terms getting into the last few minutes and we'd concede either a late equaliser and uh, or a, or a late late winner. And I think if you look at a stat around of it, if, if games have finished at half time or after seventy minutes, then we we would have probably stayed up that season as well. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm telling you something. Well, I think I'm sure it's about seventy-five. It might be eighty minutes. If we would have finished in eighty minutes, we would have stayed up. We would have mm. finished, you know, twelve or fifteen, something like that. So that just shows the margins. And um, you know, when you do lose a big player like Marlon, it's, it it does affect you. And I just don't think we just don't think we replaced him. Um, I don't think AD realised how important he was for the team. And that's why when I, I was surprised when he left, he wasn't. It didn't really kick on, and whenever I did see him, I'd say, "Look, you seem to me like you've lost your hunger, mate." At Watford, you had that hunger, um, but yeah, that, that's that's 
a story for another day. Mm. I'll, I'll speak to you about that. But yeah, and that's uh, and that's a frustrating thing. So um, yeah, and obviously after that season. Um, you, you would leave Watford six months later and go on loan to QPR, and that, and that would become a, a permanent deal after that. So, in that in that summer leading up to your final six months at, at the club, did did you realise that your time at Watford were, were was coming to an end, and and was it was was that sort of decision to to leave the club taken out of your hands a little bit? Yeah, it was, but yeah, um, you know, I've, I've highlighted it once or twice before. Um, I didn't see it coming. I think. And also, I think Aidy's highlighted it and he actually apologised to me that, you know, I shouldn't have let you go. I mean, it's, it's football. Managers sometimes make decisions that sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Um, it, the only strange thing for me was we were, I think we were like 10 points clear of second. Um, and we'd played a game against West Brom, I think it was, at home. And they, and they popped us, West Brom did. They were a good side. Um and then we ended up going to Norwich away and we played really, really well at Norwich and I got the lads on the pitch before and they said, look, we've got some real good players here. Yeah, let's play how Aidy wants us to play, but he's given us that freedom, you know, in the final third, let's go and express ourselves. And, and we ended up beating him, I think it was 2-0. Um, and we had a meet after the game and Aidy said, lads, that was one of the best performances I've had since we've been here. Outstanding. So, and then on the Thursday, I went to... We had another meeting at the training ground, and I, I, you know, spoke in front of all the players. That's why, you know, when you when you're captain, you have that link. So if you say anything to the manager, it's not, it's not to put him down, or it's not to detrimental to anything he's doing or whatever. You're just trying to, you know, have a communication. We're all we're all adults. We all want the right thing for the club. And I said to Aidy, look, you know, you mentioned how well we played. Can we build on that? You know, in our next game. And he said, yeah, you're right, Gav, we will. And on the Friday I came in and he said, look, it looks like we've got enough, Gav. Um, you know, I won't be renewing your contract in the summer. Um, I don't know whether he was annoyed that I spoke in front of the other players or, I mean, I don't know. I, I still don't know to this day. So I went away and thought about it. He spoke to my family and I said, look, on Monday, I said, look, OK, can I go now? Because I thought, I don't want him to think he could use me to help get Watford promoted. I mean, imagine that. Watford captain leaves after being promoted to the Premier League again mm. on a free transfer. Um, so I thought, look, can I go now? I've got a family. need to support them. Um, and he said, look, let me think about it. And then he come back and said, yeah. And then before you knew it, I actually signed for QPR in the tunnel when they played Watford. Little door, little room next to the tunnel at uh, Vickery Road. I signed for QPR. That that must have been massively disappointing for you the way it all came to an end, given all all that you did for the club and and the fact that you you were, you were integral during that promotion winning season and and you'd been there six years and it must have been massively disappointing that for you not only the way it ended but I'm sure Watford fans won't have won't have known the full side of things and signing for a QPR who who Watford obviously have a bit of a bit of a rivalry between fans fans may have not understood that so it must have been disappointing for you the way that it all all sort of unfolded and came to an end so quickly and the fact that you didn't get a proper proper send off yeah it did. I it's one of the ones where you know I was one of these players that I thought we had unfinished business yeah we'd come out of the Premier League but I wanted to help the team you know one get back to the Premier League so you know on a personal note you'd have two promotions in three years now that's not bad um and even if I did approached it in another way where he'd said to me, um, it, it was just early. You know, if he just said, look, Gav, 
I'm not going to talk about contracts yet, but we need you. You know, really need you. Even if you said, look, if you go up, you know, we'll make sure financially. I'm not saying money's the, you know, but it's something that, you know, shows that you've helped us get there or whatever it is. Um, you know, just, just do it in a different way. I understand he wasn't going to offer me a new contract, but I think then you've got to, but then I think on the other hand, he, he's been respectful to me by letting me go. Um, because he was like, he's not going to use me, keep me there. He's going to let me go and hopefully get another two or three years somewhere else. And I could support my family. So it's just, it was just a funny um, um And since the ladies apologised to me about that, he said, I shouldn't have let you go. And also the players. The players are constantly texting me saying, where's our captain gone? What's going on, Skip? And I said, well, this is football, lads. And that's what I say to my players now, my young players. You just never know in football, how it can change. Mm. So true. Um, and and, and that, that's very much the same with Watford at the moment, with Javi Garcia going and Kike Sanchez-Flores coming back. And obviously last season was was so good for Watford, getting getting to 11th place and a cup final. Obviously it didn't work out when we played City. But uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that change and Garcia going and, and Kike Flores coming back as well. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, if I'm being honest. Um, I'm sure they, they turned down quite a bit of money recently for some sort of compensation for him or someone tried to get him. Mm. Um, that's what I was told. So I think it's too early. It's too early to... Um, I mean, I've not seen Watford this season, uh, if I'm being honest. I don't know how the team have been playing. Um, I know Troy is a big miss. Um, you know, Troy's a big character in the changing room, so... Um, but then sometimes, you know, there's still a lot, a lot of footballs we played, and, and sometimes, um, it, you know, if you change your manager quite early, there's plenty of time for the new gaffer, also, especially because he's been there before, so he knows, he knows the club. Um, I still think Watford have got enough as a mm. squad. That'd be fine. It's just you don't like seeing people lose their jobs, especially someone who's done so well. Yeah, and and just before I let you go, what what do you think is the realistic ambition for Watford now going forward? And I I know a lot of fans would like us would like to see us sort of challenge for the top ten on a consistent basis, or or maybe even break into the top ten and following a a club like Wolves' footsteps. Do you think that's something that's that's realistic for Watford? Yeah, I think I think you know I think that needs to be one needs ability with with the coach and, and, and have a philosophy how the team wants to play like Wolves have. And Nuno does an excellent job there, but also I think you need to football nowadays. But it's, it's not when I played; it was you know you play you play because everyone was passionate. Everyone, now it's a business. Football is a business. It's like you've got to make sure you stay in that Premier League. Um, and that's probably what Watford over the years have, have, have done that. They've managed to get a squad together that's staying up. But they're not. the next step is how do you stay up as well as really push on and try and get in that top top eight, top ten. Um, so it's just a, trying to get that balance of, of getting a squad together that can can do that. And also don't bring in a lot of players every summer. You know, bring in one or two that are going to strengthen that, that squad. Um but one thing I do, I do think Watford need to do better, which I've been told by reliable sources, younger players. You know, how you know I don't think many. And one thing I spoke to Ben about, Ben said that I don't know any young players at Watford. Gaff. I don't know. We never see them. We never see any young players at the club now. When I was there, you know, you have to rely on these young players coming through, like the Ashley Youngs and stuff. You know, let, let, get these players around the first team. Um, and that's a disappointing thing from. From an ages point of view, you want to 
you want to see where the next crop of good young Watford players because it's a good catchment area. So that was my chat with Gavin Mann and uh, it was great to speak to Gavin. Uh, we, we couldn't meet up, it was great to speak to him over the phone um, about his time at Watford and uh, it's clear that he, he has very fond memories of his time at the club and very interesting what he was saying about A.D. Bouffrid and the fact that he's up there in terms of managers that he's worked with in in his career. Um, still very clear that he, he has a, a very fond affection for Watford and he's always checking for Watford's results. Um, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast now. Um, so please do have a look and find us on one of them. Um, and if you have any suggestions of any further interviews that you'd like to hear from us, you're welcome to get in touch. You know, you can send us a tweet uh, by social media. You can find us on at Vicarage Road Pod, or you can send me a tweet on at Bradley Hayden 11. You can also send me an email on a trip down Vicarage Road at Gmail. Dot com. Uh, and don't forget, if, if you have just found the podcast or you're catching up on the podcast and you've missed some of our earlier episodes, they're all available to listen to on SoundCloud, iTunes and Acast. We've recorded podcasts with Richard Lee, uh, Tommy Smith, Kevin Phillips, uh, Micah Hyde, uh, Nigel Gibbs and Marvin Sordell, who I mentioned earlier, among others. So if you have missed any of the podcasts so far you're welcome to go back and give them a listen and uh, I'm always open for any feedback as well so if you have got any tips or any ideas of how we can improve the podcast please do get involved or please do send me an email Uh, thanks again for tuning in I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I'll be back soon with another interview with a Watford legend